Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear this story of the life of Jesus. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have revealed your Son to us in all of his splendor through your word. And I pray that as we turn to your word now, you would cause us to love him with all of our hearts, to serve him with all of our strength. Christ, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives. So I pray that you would make yourself known to us today. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Nicholas could have had anything he wanted. He was born into a wealthy family, and his parents passed away when he was a young man, leaving him with complete control over the family fortune. He could have had anything. He could have used his vast wealth to buy the finest treasures and pleasures the world has to offer. He could have purchased the affection of the finest women and friends and companions in all of the land. Or even if he was more sophisticated, he could have paid tuition to learn from the most wonderful mentors and teachers and schools the world over. And yet instead, Nicholas chose to give away his vast fortune to the poor. And he gave his life not to amass pleasure and treasure for himself, but to serve Jesus and to tell others about this Jesus. Today, 1,700 years after Nicholas has lived and died, we remember him today as St. Nicholas. You guys thought Christmas was over. Joke's on you. St. Nicholas could have had anything, and he chose to give his life to serving others, especially the poor, and serving the risen Lord Jesus. Why would anyone ever make a trade like that? It seems foolish. It seems laughable. And the only reason someone would make a trade like that is because Jesus is worth it. 
He is greater than anyone or anything you could ever know or enjoy. He lived a perfect life. He died for sinners. He rose victoriously from the grave three days later, and he gave you new life in that resurrection. He's still alive today, fully worthy of your trust, fully worthy of your life. He's still alive today, still working in the world, and his work in the world can give you great purpose today, friends. What I want you to take away this morning is I want you to give yourself to know Jesus and make him known because he is worth it. We're going to walk through this story from Luke chapter 5 together in which we see Christ calling his very first disciples in his earthly ministry. And as we walk through this story, we're going to see a few things about who Christ is that I hope will amaze you and astound you. And we'll see the true meaning of what it really means to follow Jesus, to live as his disciples today. So Luke chapter 5, we'll walk through the story together, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. So this is the setting for our story. Jesus is teaching, and a crowd amasses. And the crowd becomes so large and violent that there's not even enough room for Jesus to stand where everyone could see him and everyone could hear him. I want you to note at the beginning of this story, before Jesus calls his disciples, he already had a crowd. He already had an audience. He already had a platform. Everything that Jesus does in this story is not in pursuit of a bigger crowd. He had a bigger crowd than he could even imagine. An audience wasn't the goal. He wasn't searching for a crowd. He was searching for true followers who would give themselves to his cause. He was searching for disciples who would make disciples. And why was this crowd already gathered around Jesus? Because what did he have to offer to them? He, they were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. When Christ spoke, he wasn't just speaking good advice. He wasn't just offering some helpful tips to make your life a little bit better. He was giving the very word of God because that's who Jesus is. A lot of people today believe a lot of different things about Jesus. And what Jesus claimed clearly, indisputably, unapologetically was that he was God and he still is. He fully reveals God the Father. And when he speaks, his words have authority. Jesus is God and he speaks the word of God. So the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God and he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, in this day and on the Sea of Galilee, the best fishing was done out in the deep waters at night. And, and the fishermen would use these large nets with three layers, and they would drop them down into the water, and fish would swim into this net, freak out, realize that they were caught, and then they'd swim further into the layers of the net and get be caught. And so these nets were large walls of mesh that were layered into 
the waters. They were large. They were expensive. They couldn't be thrown away when they got a little bit dirty. And so the fishermen, after a long night of work, were taking care of their very expensive and very empty nets. They were washing their nets after a night of fishing with no fish being caught. Have you ever put a lot of effort into something that turned out to be completely fruitless? Boy, that's a lot of fun, isn't it? And that's the fisherman's situation. Cleaning their empty nets. And verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So remember the situation. There's this large crowd pressing in. Jesus is being pushed back up against the water. He looks around. He sees a boat. He just kind of jumps in and he's saying, hey, man, can you help me out here? Like, push me out so everybody can see me. So the crowd spreads along the water. Jesus did this several times in his ministry. The crowd spreads out along the coast. Jesus sits down in the boat. He's not far enough into the water that he can still be heard. He can still be seen. And he teaches the crowd. Now, it looks like Jesus is getting into this boat to solve a very practical problem. He doesn't have enough seats for everyone. And if he stands where he's currently standing, no one can see him, no one can hear him. The crowd is too crazy and too overwhelming. And so it seems that Jesus is getting into this boat to solve a practical seating problem. But something bigger is at play, as it always is with Jesus. And what we'll see as the story continues is that Christ has a very significant and very specific purpose that he is after in getting into not just any boat, but Simon's boat in particular. And that's what we'll see. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, another name for Peter, Jesus' disciple, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Jesus' instructions here for fishing make absolutely no sense. They would sound completely ludicrous to an expert fisherman in the first century like Simon Peter was. Because like I said, the best fishing was done in the deep waters at night. And Jesus is here, probably in the morning since they were still cleaning their nets, probably in shallower waters since the crowd along the coast can still see and hear him, and he didn't have a microphone to speak from. Jesus is giving these completely nonsensical instructions for fishing. And how does Simon respond? Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Peter gives Jesus his assessment of the situation. He says, this is not going to turn out well. This is going to be a waste of time, but whatever you say, chief, whatever you say, and that's what he calls Jesus. He calls Jesus master. That's a statement of Jesus's authority. And he says, whatever you say, I will do. At your word, I will let down the nets. Jesus is the master. And even though Peter seems to have a little bit of skepticism with this command of Jesus, he's still willing to obey because of who Jesus is. He's the master. He's the master. Friends, Christ has authority over your life. He must be obeyed because he is the king. If you went out into the city today and, and picked and chose the laws that you were to obey, you'd probably be arrested or fined or 
depending on how crazy your crimes were this afternoon. That's not a recommendation. Authority must be obeyed, and Christ has right and good and just and universal authority. His authority must be obeyed. Christ is not take it or leave it. He is the king. He is your master. He has authority over your life. So stop running from him. Stop rebelling from him. Submit to him. Put your faith in him. Find life in his name. Christ is not take it or leave it. And most Christians are fine with that reality. We believe that. We know that Christ is not just one option to choose. He is the only way to God. He is the only Lord. Most Christians believe that. We don't think that Jesus is take it or leave it, but we often live as if his commands are. Maybe you often hear a command from the mouth of Jesus through the word of God, the Bible, to do evangelism. And you say, oh, that's not my gift. What you're really saying, friends, is not that's not my gift. What you're saying is he's not my Lord. Maybe you hear a command in scripture to be patient or to forgive. And your response is, well, my situation is different. If they knew what was going on in my life, they would have maybe put a footnote next to that verse and said, except for Doug living in the year 2023, he gets a pass on this one. We know that Christ isn't take it or leave it, but sometimes we live as if his commands are. Friends, Christ is master, and to receive him is to receive his commands. Jesus is not a teddy bear to make you feel better. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle to give you the things that you want. Jesus is master. He's Lord. He has authority. And so Peter, even with his skepticism, seeing Jesus' authority, casts the nets into the water. And what happens? Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Wow, who saw that coming? That's pretty neat. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Remember, these are huge nets that were lowered into the water. It would have to be an insane amount of fish for the nets to even come close to breaking. A catch this large is completely unheard of. That's why they didn't make the nets bigger. Jesus, at Jesus' words, Peter and his companions catch an unreasonable amount of fish. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. There are so many fish that Jesus has caught that the boat can't even hold them. The nets were breaking, the boat is sinking, and all of this comes at the words of Jesus and at his unorthodox fishing advice. Why? Christ is here demonstrating his authority, not just to give commands, but to make his word come about. He has authority not just over your life, but over all of creation. He is the Lord, and he's showing that to Simon Peter. And so think about the situation here. They're in a small boat, about 30 feet long by 8 feet wide. There's a handful of them in the boat. The nets are breaking, and those nets are expensive. It's like the expensive piece of equipment. Without it, you can't do your job. 
The, net, the nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. Everything is chaos. They're probably yelling back and forth between the boats like, oh, grab that part of the net and get this fish. And, oh, man, we're going down. We're taking on water. It's an urgent situation. And what does Peter do? He stops working. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What does Peter do in the midst of the chaos? He throws himself to the ground in this little fishing boat. He's probably rocking the boat around. His co-workers are probably sitting there like, What are you doing, you maniac? Our boats are sinking. Our nets are breaking. We're not going to have food tomorrow if you don't get off your feet and start working, helping. Come on. But clearly, Peter sees that there's something more important than the fish and the boats and the net, and that's Jesus. Peter sees something in Jesus, namely, that he's the Lord. What does Peter say? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Lord, it's another statement of authority. But also, almost every time this word is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it refers to God himself. Peter is here testifying to the fact that Jesus is not just another rabbi, but that Jesus is God. And he's revealed that to Peter by this insane catch of fish. He says, no mere man could have done this. It was clearly not Jesus' expertise in fishing that did this. There's clearly something else at play because he is the master, not just of my life, but of every single one of these fish and every wind that blows the water and every ripple in the lake. He's the Lord. He is God. So what happens? Peter says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. Jesus sees, or Peter sees, that if Jesus is God, then he is holy. God is holy. That's core to who God is. What does it mean for God to be holy? It means that he's completely separate from two things. He's completely separate from creation, because he alone is the creator. Everything else is created. He is the maker. Everything else is the stuff that has been made. He's completely separate from creation and he's completely separate from sin. He is free from any kind of wrongdoing. And so Peter sees this reality. If Jesus is this God, if Jesus is this holy Lord, and if he is a sinful man, there's two implications. The first one is that Christ is the holy Lord. I'm not worthy to be around him because I am not the creator. I'm not the creator. I'm a creature. I'm created. So you're not worthy to do that. If we walked down the street today and tried to just walk into the Capitol building, we wouldn't get in very far because we don't have that kind of authority. And on an infinitely greater scale, Peter says, I can't just come in close to this Jesus. Because he's the creator, I'm the creature. Christ is the holy Lord, I am a sinful man, and his consuming fire of purity is going to consume me. 
Peter thinks. Because that's what holiness does. It can't ignore sin. That wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be right. And so God's holiness has to punish sin, has to devour wrongdoers. Because he's holy, and that's what he has to do. Sin cannot be near him. And so Peter knows that God is rightly going to destroy him because of his sin. And what happens? Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Remember, Peter has thrown himself on the ground. Peter is yelling out to Jesus, Depart from me because you're holy and I'm sinful. You're the creator and I'm just a small speck. What does Jesus say? Do you think he would say, Ah, finally, someone's recognized me and all my greatness? Do you think he said, Finally, I'm getting the respect I deserve? Do you think he said, Ah, yes, finally, a little bug that I can squish. No, he said to Simon, verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Christ could obliterate Peter, and he would be right to do so, because Peter was a sinful man. Peter was a wrongdoer. And Christ, if he came in here today, he could obliterate me and obliterate any one of us because we are all wrongdoers. And what does he do instead? Do not be afraid. He offers peace. He offers peace to you, husband or wife, stuck in anger at your spouse? He offers peace to you, young men and women who spent most of last night watching pornography. He speaks peace to you, employee who took countless shortcuts this week. He speaks peace to you. No matter what your situation is today, he speaks peace, not condemnation. How? How could this ever be the case? Years after this situation, Peter himself would testify. We read about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. You were ransomed, Peter writes to Christians, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see what happened here? You see what Peter is explaining here? Peter and me and you and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be made right with God. Not because we've figured it out but because the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, was spilled for you, spilled on your behalf. 
Because of your sin, you've earned, a, a, you've earned a punishment. You ought to be obliterated. And Jesus at the cross was obliterated in your place. His blood was spilled in your place. So that if you look to him in faith, he can deliver you. Because he's not dead anymore. He rose victoriously from the dead. Jesus died in your place and he rose with you. You were dead in your sins and Jesus in his resurrection raised you up with him if you trust in him. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose again. And so friends, we're going to speak like Jesus did about the importance of making disciples. And the point in doing so is not to guilt you into doing more evangelism or to guilt you into doing more church activities. The point, friends, is to dazzle you at the wonders of Jesus and the wonders of the salvation that he can bring to your life so that you can't help but not just talk about him all the time. You can't help but do it. You can't stop. That's what I want for you today. I want you to be dazzled and amazed at the wonders of this Jesus so that you can't stop talking about him. Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Christ has given Peter pardon, and now he gives him a new purpose. Fishing for men. Fishing for people. That, that, that image of fishing for people, took, uh, it, it appears three times in the Old Testament, and every single one of those times, it was speaking about God's judgment. God was saying, oh, I'm going to get you, you little fish. I'm going to reel you in. You're not going to escape my hook and my net. But Jesus seems to be changing things here because he speaks not about hunting fish to, to kill and devour them. He talks about catching fish alive and giving them life. So what was once a word of judgment has now been re redefined to talk about giving life. Peter's response then, they left everything and followed him. Peter came to know a new and better purpose than fishing could ever offer. And so he gave himself to that. He didn't worry about the cost. He followed. If you're not a Christian here this morning, Jesus is the Lord. And he calls you to himself in faith. Living for yourself is a waste of your life. So don't do it. Lay down your life for his purposes. Lay down your life for his purposes because that's the only way to find true and lasting life. Christians, Jesus gives you the same call that he gives to Peter today to catch men, to fish for men to go after the men and women in your life that don't know the Lord and to give them life, to offer life. Jesus, in other places in his ministry, he, he phrased this command as make disciples. What is a disciple? Some people think that, that every Christian could be a disciple. But that's like the second level. You've got to do some certain things first. And that's not true. 
The word disciple just means student or follower. And so every Christian, every follower of Jesus is a disciple. And every Christian is called to discipleship. What does discipleship mean? It means becoming more like Christ by knowing God more truthfully, loving God more sincerely, and obeying God more faithfully. And so then the call to make disciples or to disciple others means to help those other people become more like Christ by knowing God more truthfully, loving God more sincerely, and obeying God more faithfully. Making disciples like that sometimes takes place in formal settings, like where two people sit down in a a scheduled meeting, one-on-one, to talk about the Word of God. And sometimes it takes place in informal settings, when you let your light shine before men and you speak off the cuff about the wonders of God's work in your life. And friends, Jesus today, this great Jesus, had given you the call to catch men, to catch women, to make disciples. What does that look like? Well, it looks like making disciples outside of our church. Friends, you are strategically placed by God everywhere in your life. Why do you live in the house or apartment that you live in? Because Jesus has placed you there for his glory. Why do you work in the office that you work in? Because Jesus has strategically placed you there for his glory glory. Christ didn't just happen to show up in Peter's life. It was all a part of God's wonderful, sovereign plan. And you don't just happen to work with the non-Christians in your office. You don't just happen to live next to the non-Christians in your building or on your street. You're strategically placed there by God for his glory. You are a fisherman and God has placed you in a pond. I wonder what our, call to, what our call is there. It's a fish. It's to catch men. Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't we give ourselves to, to making Jesus known, to catching men, to making disciples? The number one reason, I think, the number one excuse that comes to all of our minds when we have an opportunity to share Christ with a non-Christian and we don't is because we say to ourselves, they will think I'm weird. I'm weird. Friends, I have three things to say to that. Number one, Christ is worth it. Christ is worth it. He was able to bring a large catch of fish for Peter. And he will be able to provide for you if the entire world rejects you. Christ is worth it. And number two, your friends will change. And they won't think you're weird anymore. Friends, Christ brought the fish that Peter caught by the word of his power, and he is able to completely transform the hardest of hearts by the word of his power. Christ brought the fish into Peter's boat, and Christ will bring the fish in that you go and search for. The non-Christians that you speak to, Christ is able to do it. You might say something like, No, my coworkers would never be interested in a Bible study. That's crazy. That's crazy. You might say things like, oh no, my neighbors are way too far gone. They would never be open to Jesus. Friends, that's not true. They are no further gone than you were before the Lord saved you. 
Your friends will change. And friends, Peter, he said, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And then Jesus brought in a catch. He is the Lord of the harvest. If you give yourself to making disciples, you will see fruit. You know the best way to not catch a fish? Is to not fish. The best way to not catch a fish is to not put your net in the water. But if you do, if you put your net in the water, if you go and speak the word of God to your non-Christian friends, and I'm going to explain how in just a moment, if you do that, Jesus is able to bring in a catch. So what do we say when, when you say to yourself, no, I can't share Christ with them. They'll think I'm weird. Number one, remember that Christ is worth it. Number two, remember that Christ can change your friends. And number three, you know what's really weird? You know what's really weird? Is having the cure to all of your friends and coworkers' guilt and shame and not saying something about it? Have you ever known someone with a chronic medical issue? Do you know how quickly everyone in the entire world is to give advice to that person? People are expecting cures and remedies from their friends. And friends, if you have the cure, if you have true life to offer to the non-Christians in your life, why wouldn't you share that? That would be weird. That would be weird. So don't do that. Don't be weird. What does this actually look like? You have to cast a net to win fish. And you have to actually speak to win souls. Friends, the fish that Peter caught were not attracted by the beauty of his boat. And the non-Christians in your life will not be attracted by the uprightness of your life. Some people say, you know, I don't, I don't really share about Jesus. I just live my life in such a way that people will stop and ask, what's different about you? There's laughter. That's funny. You, you just said it. No, I didn't say it. <laughs> Converts will not be attracted by the beauty of your life. They will be attracted by the beauty of Jesus, who you have to tell them about. Who you have to tell them about. And so in our church, we've created a resource to help you do that. The Know Jesus Bible Study, which if you haven't grabbed any of these, then grab two of them before you leave. One of them's for you. One of them is for a non-Christian friend that you know in the city. And the goal of this Bible study, it walks through 15 passages in the Gospel of Mark. The goal of this Bible study is to stop you from saying, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to read the Bible with a non-Christian friend. Boom, everything you need to know right here. Literally just open it to page one and then you do exactly what it says. You read it and do what it says. Easy peasy. You can do that. You can do that. You have to cast a net to win fish. You have to actually open your mouth to win souls. Use the Know Jesus Bible study as a tool. You have to persevere. Peter fished all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus gives one word, boom, large catch of fish. You will share with your friends, and you will pray for your friends for years. And you might not see any fruit. But when Jesus speaks, lives 
will be changed. You have to persevere in this because Christ is alive and he's commanded us to go and he's still at work. He changed my heart and he's changed your hearts and he's able to change the hearts of other people that you know. You have to persevere because Christ is alive and he's commanded us to go. If you're a member of Pillar Church or if you call this church your home, I want to give you a specific challenge. By the end of March, some of you task-oriented people are like, yes, finally, we're getting deadlines. By the end of March, ask at least one non-Christian to do this Bible study with you. At least one. And if that person says no, which they might do, probably won't do. We, I mean, we've been using this for six months. I've heard one story about someone who asked a friend, hey, will you do this Bible study with me? And that person said no. And that person was a professing believer. So take that for what it is. By the end of March, ask at least one person to do this Bible study with you. And if that person says no, then by June, find someone who will do it with you. And that first step is going to be the hardest. Ripping off the bandit and being like, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. That's going to be the hard part. So take that step. Take it by the end of March. Come to Second Sunday Prayer tonight, and we will pray for you that the Lord would help you do that. Be involved in a small group, and a small group will keep you accountable and pray for you and pray for the people that you study with, the people that you disciple, the fish that you are catching. So we make disciples outside of our church. But we're also called, if discipleship is becoming more like Christ by knowing God more truthfully, loving God more sincerely, and obeying God more faithfully, and discipling others is helping them do all of those things, then we need to be discipled inside of the church as well because we need to grow in Christ-likeness. We need to love God. We need to know God. We need to obey God. And so we need to be discipled as well. One-on-one discipleship, church members meeting together to to stir one another up in Christ-likeness has been the heartbeat of our church from the very beginning, but sometimes we've lacked clarity about what that looks like exactly in the life of our church, and so uh, we've been working over the last few weeks and months uh, on the sequel to Know Jesus, which is called Follow Jesus. And um, this is just a very simple Bible study that covers some basics about what it means to be a Christian. It's just 10 sessions. It's designed for new Christians, but we want every person in our church to go through this study so that you'll be ready to take someone else through it, either when you lead them to Christ after doing this one, or uh, when someone new comes into our church. When someone new comes into our church, you ought to feel comfortable and confident to say to them, Hey, could we meet up sometime to read the Bible together? I'd like to disciple you. And some of you are like, I'm years away from that. That's okay. We're going to train you. We're going to help you. And, and uh, our, our small groups over the next few weeks are going to be going through the Follow Jesus Bible study uh, together just as a way to get everybody caught up to speed at the same time. And so if you're not planning on being in a small group, then I really encourage you, Uh, to sign up for one. We've got small groups in Virginia. We've got two in D.C. We've got one in Maryland. Uh, Sign up for a small group. Uh, I think that it'll be a really fruitful time in your life. And a small group on JBAP as well. 
Um, so we think that'll be a really fruitful time in your life. Um, and if you can't be involved in a small group over the next few months, that's okay. Ask somebody to do this Bible study with you one-on-one. Like before you leave here today, find a more mature Christian and say to them, I can't go to a small group, but I would like to be discipled. Will you disciple me? Will you take me through the follow Jesus study? You know, when you're able to. And then you guys can work out a time. You can't come to small groups. Figure out whatever time works. If it's one o'clock in the morning, so be it. Figure out what works for you. Make it happen. But I'd really encourage you, uh, if you can, to be involved in a small group. The Follow Jesus Bible study, it's gonna, you're going to have some homework. Sorry. It's going to give you some pre-reading that you'll read before you go to small group. And then it also gives you a meetup guide that walks through um, one passage of scripture and gives some study questions, some application questions, and even will help you formulate an action step because we don't just want to know things. We want to follow after Christ, actually. We want to do it. We want to live this out. And so that's the Follow Jesus. The first session of the Follow Jesus study, uh, we'll put the whole, the whole thing on our website this week, uh, but you can grab a hard copy of the first session on your way out today, and then we'll give hard copies of each session to your small group leaders uh, each week. So you'll be able to pick it up for the following week that day. Or if you want to read it digitally, then just go to the website. Also, the ones that I printed out this morning have like really small font. That's my fault. It'll be different next week, I promise. Sorry. We want to make disciples because Christ has made us his disciples. Friends, that's what all this is about. I gave you a lot of tools right now, and I probably overwhelmed some of you. Or like, he's talking about a lot of things. He's, he gave two goals. That's a lot of things. Um, and, and that's okay if you're feeling that way. What I want you to remember, friends, is that Christ, the Lord of all creation, speaks to you today in the midst of your sin and your guilt and your shame and his word to you is not, come on, you can't even remember two action items. His word to you today is do not be afraid. Wherever you're at today, friends, Christ's word to you today is do not be afraid. You don't need to be controlled by your guilt and shame anymore because Christ has called you to himself. I'm going to invite the music team back up now. And as they come up, I want to encourage you one more time. Give yourself, friends, to know Jesus and make him known. Jesus has given himself to give you true life. So know him. If you are not a Christian today, this is your only action item today, is to know the risen Lord Jesus who is able to make you new. Christ came to offer you life. Know him. And if you are a Christian, know him. You haven't graduated from Jesus. You still need him now more than ever. So run hard after him. Give yourself to this cause of knowing Jesus. And give yourself to making him known. Christ has given us the incredible privilege of carrying his life-giving message to non-Christians in our city and to the ends of the earth. What a stunning commission. What a stunning cause that we've been called to. It's absolutely incredible. So friends, let's give ourselves to this task. Let's give ourselves to know Jesus 
and make him known. 